Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. In the story, Mark is, is going to give us, over this chapter of Scripture, an incredibly eclectic collection of events which, um, which are not random. You know, the Holy Spirit is putting these passages of Scripture together for a reason, so that we would say, what does this really mean for us? How is God speaking to us? And we're going to get a brilliant snapshot into what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's going to be quite disturbing because it's going to be quite hard. And, and actually, as I prepared this, I actually prepared four different talks and then uh, scrapped each one and went, no, no, we can't. No, no, no. And, and what I'm trying to do this evening is not give you four talks in, in one. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll try real, real hard. But, but, but effectively, it's going to be hard because trying to follow Jesus today is difficult. Trying to really understand who Jesus is and, and, and do his stuff. So I want to read from the middle of Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. I think probably the most boring part of the passage, but it's going to make sense. Okay, so the passage is like crazy story. It's Jesus riding to Jerusalem on a donkey. It's Jesus cleaning the temple out and saying, my house will be a house of prayer. In the middle of it, there's this boring bit. That, that it's not that boring, but stay with me. Verse 20 of, of Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. In the morning, as they went along, <laughs> they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Now, what you need to understand is that Jesus had been walking along, and, and for some reason, I don't know whether he had a bad breakfast or a bad day or something, he just looks at this fig tree and he curses the fig tree. There's a whole bunch of prophetic thing going on here, but he curses this fig tree and then they walk on, and now Peter sees the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you've cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, it's quite a big statement, isn't it? If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I think Peter is saying, fig tree, cursed, withered. What do I do with that? I think that's what Peter's saying. What do I even do with this? How, how am I supposed to be a follower of you? How, how does this, how does this all, 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 all work? And I, and I think he has had his mind blown, not just by the fig tree, but by everything else that had happened in the last two chapters, the last two paragraphs of chapter 11. What, what is this? I mean, what is this Jesus thing? What is this thing that you've invited me into? What is this adventure? What do I even, what do, I even do with this? And Jesus is, is going to answer. It's going to be very practical and, and very profound. But, but in order for us to understand it, we've got to get the context because otherwise you just won't understand what's being, what's being said. So let's pray and then let's, let's do the context, okay? Jesus, we love you. We have this ridiculous belief 
that this word that is written in front of us is your living, active word, pertinent to our lives, relevant for today. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit of Jesus, to come speak to our hearts, for we are listening. Come, Holy Spirit. So Jesus has been speaking with his, his disciples, and, and, and again he starts talking about his death. And what you need to understand is that the, first, the whole of the first half of Mark's gospel is like, is like almost two and a half years, maybe more than two and a half years of, of time. And it's Jesus teaching his disciples and saying to people generally, don't tell anyone who I am. And it's a bit weird, and we're not quite sure exactly what's going on, but probably it's because he wants to disciple his disciples, and he doesn't want to be arrested, and he doesn't want to be crowds everywhere. He just wants to... And then the last half of Mark's gospel takes place in seven days. It's really intense. And it starts with Jesus saying, I'm coming out. (laughs) This is who I am. This is what I'm for. This is what it's all about. This is what it means to be a follower of me. I'm going to a cross and I'm, and I'm going to die. And he says again for the third time, we're going up to Jerusalem where the religious leaders are and they will take me and kill me. Religion will kill me. It still does, by the way. It still does. Religion kills Jesus. It's been doing so since the very birth of the church. Religion kills Jesus. And so Jesus approaches Jerusalem. He's on his way uh, and, and with thousands of others to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate liberation and freedom. It's the, it's the feast that happens every year. And he stops at Bethany. And it's totally intentional because Bethany was the place where he raised Lazarus from the dead. These, this crowd is building. They know exactly who Jesus is. He did this thing. It's incredible what's going to happen next. And he's followed by blind Bartimaeus, who he's just healed on the road. And, and unlike many of the other healings, he doesn't say to Bartimaeus, oh, don't tell anyone. Go back and don't tell anyone. He says, come with me, come follow me. And so Bartimaeus is with him and everyone knows what happened to Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is like this testimony of grace that Jesus might just be the Messiah. And they're all walking up to Jerusalem and the crowds get bigger and the noise gets louder and the interest gets bigger. They have no social media, but the message is out and they're all coming. And then he does something really odd. He says to two of his disciples, go to the next village and you'll find a cult and uh, a donkey, and it'll be tied up outside, and it's not been ridden, I mean, it's just random. It's a colt, it's a donkey, and you're not to pay for it, they don't take cards or cash, just there's, there's a donkey, and, and effectively, Jesus says, steal the donkey. I mean, read it, is what he says. He says, take the donkey, and if anyone stops you, just say, Jesus needs it. That, it's just a random thing. So he's got this donkey, <laughs> and he's got this huge crowd, and they have questions. The crowd has questions. They hear the questions. Is he king? Is he the Messiah? Is he the rescuer? Can he rescue? What is this deal? The same question that Peter's got. What is this? What is this? And Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And, 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 and the Jewish people understand. They're understanding something. They've heard and they'd seen. They'd seen Roman leaders ride into their city before. They'd seen it, 
marching. They, they, they'd heard the stories of Caesar, uh, the king in Rome, marching in triumph. And, 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 they were waiting for the prophecies of old. When the Messiah would, would come and they began to whisper to one another. And then they begin to believe and they take off their cloaks. They take off their coats and they throw them in the dust <laughs> And they start to worship because he's the king and, they, and, and, and it's undignified. And they're shouting and they're screaming and they're picking up bits of foliage and, 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 and he's the king. Caesar is not king. Pilate is not king. Trump is not king. Brexit is not king. Jesus is king. And he rides and he reigns, and he saves. Jesus' kingdom subverts and supersedes every earthly kingdom. Jesus is the king. And, but Jesus starts to, to show them something. He says, I'm the king you're waiting for, but I'm not the king you're expecting. I'm the king you're waiting for, but I'm, but I'm not the king you're expecting. And the, the, and the reason that I say that is there's some, there's some prophecy here. It's crazy. If you, if you ever get hold of the Old Testament and start to try and understand all the prophetic words spoken about Jesus and what he would do and who he would be and how it would all work out, and then, and, then, and then transpose that onto the New Testament and try to work out whether Jesus really is the Son of God. There were like, there were like 300 of these prophecies that just seem accurately to come together in the person of Jesus. And, and one of them is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And Jesus is saying, I'm the king, but I'm not coming to you like any other king. I'm not coming in brutality, and I'm not coming in manipulation. I'm not coming in self-interest and subjugation. I'm the king who comes to save. I'm riding a donkey, not a war horse. I'm not coming to save myself, but I'm coming to fix this stuff. That's what I'm coming for. I'm coming to bring peace. I'm coming to bring justice. I'm coming to restore broken people. I'm coming to wrap the whole thing up and deal with the whole thing and flip everything on its head. That's, that's what I'm doing. Can he save? They're thinking, can he rescue? And, and, and the question they're asking when they're singing Hosanna, it's like myriad questions all in one. Some, some of the people, are, 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 when they're shouting save now, are wanting a political savior. Saying, can, can he, will he free us from poverty and tyranny and, uh, and, and governmental rule? And some of you are asking the same question. And, so, and some of them are asking about a military savior. Will he, will he come and free us from occupation? We want our homeland back. I'm not sure this passage could be more relevant for us. M- many, many of them wanted a religious savior. Would you free us from the mess and, and the corruption of the church? the religious system. But Jesus is coming and he's saying, I am the savior. The the word is sozo, and it means healing, mending, curing, forgiving, restoring. In other words, I think Jesus is saying, I'm offering a new politic. 
politic of the kingdom of God. It's new, it's different, it's above. Of love over self, of truth over political correctness, of life over death, of giving over taking. I'm offering a new power, the power of the spirit of God rather than the power of the spirit of this age. Not the spirit of more or or comfort or comparison or competition. I'm offering a new religion, the religion of the life of God. I'm offering hope. I'm offering hope. I'm offering hope. Isn't, isn't, Isn't that relevant? I mean, wherever you go and whatever political system you buy into and whatever political party you vote for, um, whatever you think about this world, leave or not leave or, 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 or whatever, hope is something that is lacking in our culture right now. The honest thing is that almost nobody knows exactly what to do. We, we don't have hope anymore. And Jesus says, I'm offering hope because I'm the savior. And he's making himself known. And, um, and I want you to notice this. The discipleship response, this is really interesting, I think. The discipleship response to Jesus saying, I'm the king and I'm king in this way, is radically abandoned worship. That's what they do, isn't it? They just, they take their clothes off, they throw them on the floor, they wave palm branches, they say, he's the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is really dangerous territory, and I'm going to be really careful. But the right discipleship response is not disinterested worship. It's not arms folded worship. It's not on balance worship. It's not rational in my head, but I'm not expressed it with my face worship. And I know you've had a bad day. And I know it's your personality and you don't like anyone telling you what to do. And I know someone hurt you and I know, worship, I know, I know, I know that worship is more than singing songs and raising hands. But Hosanna to the son of David. I mean, he saves people. He saved you. He heals people. He healed you. He changes things. He changed you. He brought something to life that was, did not have life. He, 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 he shifts things. He changes atmosphere. This is huge. Guys, your heart was made by the saving king for the saving king. In other words, if you want a healthy heart, learn to worship. The, the way in which we worship shifts the atmosphere. It changes the atmosphere. It offers hope. Let me push into this a bit further. Raising your hands is biblical, by the way. This is very practical, isn't it? It is, though. It's all, I mean, it's all over the Bible. Lift your hands in worship. It's not, it's not a new phenomenon for, for a bunch of people who like kind of soft rock worship. It's it's, it's, like a, it's like a biblical thing. Clapping your hands is a biblical thing. It's all over the scriptures. It's not, I think sometimes, the, I think the enemy has robbed us of the clapping hands thing because we got called the kind of happy clappy people. And, and, and I mean, actually clapping your hands is, is, is a human thing. When you're excited about something, come on, you clap your hands about something. Getting on your face and knees is, is a biblical thing. It's, it's a little demonstrative for British people, but it's, 
It's, it's a biblical thing, you know. In the presence of Jesus, sometimes you just need to get on your knees because he's the king and you're not. And, and you're aware of how messed up you are because we're all broken. Getting on your faces before the God of the universe who knows you. Singing out loud is all over the scriptures. But what is it? What is it that we... we what, what is that? You know, I know, I know, I know you're a man. <laughs> but you see, you also go to the football match. I see, I see it at the football match. <laughs> but in church... Engage your face. Not, n- n- not listen, I'm being flippant, but not, bec- not because the king needs it. Because you need it. Because you need it. And so Jesus says, I'm the king. And I'm this kind of king. And then I love this. This, is, this tells me that the Bible is, is not made up. Because you, I mean, if only, oh, I don't know. Jesus looks around the temple and then goes back home. Can, we, can you get that? If only I'd been there to help Jesus. He, he's had the crowd with him. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's got a donkey thing. He's done the prophetic thing. He's, he's everyone's, ever, and then he just goes and looks at the temple and walks, goes back home. I have no idea what that's about. Next day, look. He strides into the temple, and it's very deliberate. It's, I don't think, I don't know because we're not told, but I, I don't think he's got the crowds with him right now, but he's definitely got the disciples. That's how we know the story. And I think Jesus is saying, this is what the salvation looks like. This is what, it, this, this, this is what it's like. This is what it's for. Stay with me. This, he's in the temple, this huge edifice. This is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And as he, as, he, as he walks through the temple, there were these sections of the temple that certain people could go in and certain people couldn't go in. And as he walks through the temple, he goes through the court of the Gentiles and then he sees a wall. And the, the Gentiles couldn't go beyond that, that wall and it grieves his heart because God's presence is for all people. And he's going, this is not what we meant. And, and then he walks through the court of, of, of women, where the women can go, and there's a wall. And there's a door, and, and, and I, I think he's now getting mad. This is not, this is, this is my, my, my father is a father, and his, he loves people, all people. His presence is for, and then he goes through the court of men, and, and, and even then he's mad. Because they can't even enter the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is in in. In the temple, this is for all nations, for all genders. For, for this is a house of prayer for all nations. This is a house of prayer for all, all nations. Now, listen, there are there are like a hundred sermons I could preach right now, and a hundred points I could make, and I'm gonna you're gonna start walking out, and we will t- we will teach these sermons. It's really important that we we think about walls, and inclusion and exclusion. But but I will say this. Everybody, everybody should have equal opportunity to know God. Everybody. Whatever background, 
whatever, whatever background, whatever, whatever stuff, whatever, whoever you are, whatever you think, whatever you believe, everyone, everybody should have an equal opportunity to know this God who changes life. That's why we do Alpha. Because this stuff is for that stuff. This stuff has to, and, and we are all broken people. We're all, we're all aren't we? There's no unbroken people here. We're all broken people created by God for God. This is, this is what it's all about. And so Jesus turns the tables over and he's, I don't know, he's just mad. He's mad. Listen, he wants to cleanse the house of God. This is the dwelling place of God. This is God's house. And it needs cleansed. This, 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 this is all about the presence of God. And he, and he wants to take his church back to the presence of God. Jesus is always wanting to deconstruct anything in the life of his people that disables them in knowing him. If that makes sense. Everything. You know, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the courts, 2,000 years ago, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, and suddenly the presence of God is out. But here's the thing, the people of God have spent much of the following 2,000 years trying to sew it up again. And making the temple all about walls and rules and restrictions and programs and behaviors and hierarchies and structures and as long as you do the right thing and wear the right thing and come at the right time and behave in the right way then somehow you might have a chance of a glimpse of Jesus when actually it's all about Jesus it's all about the presence of Jesus it's all about the power and wonder and majesty of Jesus who's the king who saves and, and, and bef before we all start pointing the finger at the church and going that's the church just the church just the church Notice this. We're actually talking about ourselves here. Because the scripture tells us that God no longer dwells in buildings, but in human hearts. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6. And the king who saves is here. And he wants to cleanse hearts and he's, and he's here not to beat you up. So if in any way what I'm saying or the way I'm saying it is, it, it comes across as common nature. It's not, it's not meant to because he's here not to beat you up, but to free you up and to clean you up. Because he loves you. This, this, this is a house of prayer for all nations. This, this is about relationship with the creator who, who made me. So that's the context, by the way, that was the introduction. And, and, and then, and then, don't worry, it's okay, it's all right. And, and, and then, and only then does Jesus do the fig tree thing. And I don't know what it's all about, and I know there's some prophecy stuff, and I know it's about Israel, and I know it's about what, but I think actually it's Jesus, saying, by the way, this is real. I'm not just telling you that I'm the king or, or showing you that I save. I, I have power to change situations. This is real. 
And then Peter says, what, what do you even do with that? What do, what do you do with that? What, what, what is this? Verse 21. And Jesus responds to the question, which isn't really a question, but Jesus takes as a question, if you notice. And he says this thing. And it's so ridiculously simple and it's so profound. He says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And Jesus is saying, the way into this life of adventure and worship and salvation and healing and inclusion, the way into this thing that we call discipleship is, is radical faith, probably like you've never experienced radical faith. It's like off the chart radical faith. I'm king. I'm, I'm the king, be sure. I, I'm the savior, but, but can I be Lord of your life? And Jesus says, trust me. Just trust me. Take me at my word and believe in my power. Stand the whole of your future, your present and your past, your dreams and your ambitions and your life upon me and what I have said and what I'm calling you into. Do you, do you trust me? It's speculation. It's risk. It's ridiculous. It's a, it's a whole new way of doing God, people. Actually, it's a whole ancient way of doing God. It goes like this. God speaks, we do. God speaks, we do. Every other way of trying to do church is worn out and dry and dependent on ourselves. And I'll tell you, it doesn't work because I've tried it for years. Every time you, you make a great plan and, and you come before God and say, here's my plan, and then you ask God to rubber stamp your plan, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. And Jesus says, just, would you have faith in me? Not in, not in the rules, not in the religion, not in the systems, not in the structures. And, and I'll tell you what it looks like. And these, these guys who are planning churches know exactly what it looks like. It, it, it looks like irrational obedience. That's what this kind of faith looks like. Irrational obedience. Go get a donkey. That's what it looks like. Go get a donkey. No explanation, no questions. If anyone asks, just say, I need it. Don't overthink this. Don't second guess it. Don't lead with strategy. Lead with revelation in every area of your life. And if you live in that way, you will have power like you have never experienced before. You'll have mountain moving power, mountain throwing power. Mountains will shift and change. In your, how many of you have got mountains in your life that you'd like to move right now? I don't mean real mountains. I'm being, you know, this is one rung deeper than that. You know, how, many, how many of you have got a mountain in your life that you would love to see? You can indicate. This is called audience participation. Um, yeah, mountain in your life that you, you know, a, a friend, a family member, a sickness, a financial thing, or a, a moral situation that you just can't get your head around, a, 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 a decision that you'd, a mountain you would love to shift. Jesus says, if you have this kind of irrational faith that says, if you say something, I will do it, then mountains will get shifted. Situations will shift and change. Jesus says, trust me. And here's where we'll close. The way into this life of faith is love. Jesus says, I want to teach you to pray with power. Listen, the secret to trust God is love God. 
You're not going to trust something you don't love. You're not going to prioritize something you don't actually love. Seek first the kingdom of God and his restorative justice and all these things will be added unto you. The key to love God, the key to love God is to hang out with God. And what we call that is prayer. Because listen, here's the thing that I learned a a while ago is, is that prayer is not you trying to get God to change his mind. It's not. It doesn't work. Come on, God. I mean, there are passages of Scripture that tend to suggest that God changes his mind. But, but, but prayer, prayer is not about you changing God's mind. Prayer is about him changing your heart so that you know him and love him and you begin to see things the way he sees things and feel things the way he feels things and, and hear things the way he, he speaks about things. And suddenly, instead of praying the selfish stuff of your ambition, you begin to pray the stuff that's on his heart. And that's when mountains begin to move. It's a trust question. Do you love him? Will you trust him? Will you obey him? This is why worship is so hard, by the way. It's why worship is so difficult for you and for me at times. Because actually, I'm still on the throne of my life way too much. And, and so what happens is it's not convenient for me or I don't like it or the music doesn't work or whatever or no one's going to tell me to put my hands up or kneel or, 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 or whatever the deal is and it becomes my preference and not his glory. And that's why forgiveness is so difficult because I'm still on the throne of my life and I'm still the judge and I'm still my own savior and I'm trying to work it out and I'm, I'm still got my rights that I need to see worked out and, and he's not really Lord. That's why stuff and future and money is so difficult. Because you never surrendered it to him. You, you, you never gave him all of it. You never stood the weight of your life on, on him. And so you're always having to juggle. You're always having to juggle your world, your finances, your stuff. And what, you didn't go all in. That's why the sex stuff is so difficult. And the dating stuff is so difficult. And how you handle all that, all that attraction stuff is, is so difficult. Not because... It's not difficult because it is difficult. But it's so difficult because he has never become the highest love. He's never become the highest love. And so you look at everything through a weird lens. Because he's not Lord. And I'm not suggesting that, 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 that when he becomes Lord, all the issues go away because... Actually, sometimes it becomes very complicated. But I am saying that you will never walk this adventure of faith. You will never know the freedom that comes from total salvation and total forgiveness and total life until you embrace this radical faith that says he is everything. He is first. He is Lord. And you hold nothing back. And you hold nothing over anyone. And this is so important. I, I know this is heavy. It's really heavy, actually. Heavier than I even thought when I started preaching. Here's the thing. This is so important. Because he's cleansing his house. I think that's what he's doing in the church in our day. 
he's cleansing his house. And he's saving the world. And he's looking for a people who will join him. He's cleansing his house with gracious truth. And he's saving the world with gracious truth. And he's looking for a people who will say, I want to follow him. I trust him.